everybody. Welcome to Props and Hops, powered by Dimers.com. I'm Matt Landis, and in this episode, I'll put the Super Bowl in proper perspective and also set the stage for life after football. I'll do so with a major assist from a special guest, the most special person in my life, and the unofficial and unpaid executive producer of Props and Hops, my brilliant wife, Allison. We'll touch on Allison's background, including her role behind the scenes with this show, as well as her sports fandom, and when it comes to her knowledge, just wait until I quiz her on a Super Bowl stat that most avid bettors who watch the game intently wouldn't have gotten right without knowing the answer ahead of time. So it's not just a different perspective she brings to the table, but a sharp perspective at that. We'll set the record straight in the aftermath of Super Bowl 55, including storylines related to Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, and Rob Gronkowski, and then we'll look back on the season as a whole, plus a look ahead to the offseason. So if that sounds good, go ahead and subscribe to Props and Hops wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please take a quick moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on Twitter to keep the conversation going, at mlandis18. And you can also get your sports betting fix year-round over at Dimers.com. If you're missing football already but still want to get some action down, you could do worse than checking out the Dimers daily picks when it comes to the NBA and NHL. All right, without further ado, let's get to this week's conversation with Allison. So it's always special when somebody wants to take time out of their day to connect for part of this podcast, but no guest is more special than this. I'm here with the most special person in my life, my favorite person, my wife, Allison. Allison, welcome to the show. I mentioned in the intro you're the unofficial executive producer of Props and Hops, so what's it like to be on the other side of the mic? Uh, You're giving me too much credit as your unofficial executive producer, but it's nice. I'm happy to be part of this you know, side hustle of yours. I'm usually just hearing it after you've recorded, so it's kind of nice to actually see how the sausage gets made. Yeah, well, you've been, I think, a bigger part of the role than you might let on since we were kicking around the ideas from what to call this to what could the logo look like to how to structure things. I mean, you have been really helpful in making the show what it is to this point. How would you describe your role behind the scenes and just ideas we've bounced off each other or, or ways that you have contributed to shaping the show? Um, I like being your sounding board. I think when you come to me with a question, you usually know what you want to do. You're almost just looking for confirmation. So it's kind of a fun game of when I can sort of make my suggestion. You're like, that's exactly what I wanted to do. Or if I do throw you for a loop and suggest something else. I think I can usually sway you. (laughs) But um, no, it's been fun seeing it all come together. Um, I remember when you talked about this a little while ago. I know it had been a little while since you had done your podcast with Dave. So I personally was very excited when you had come up with the idea after, what, like a year and a half, two years to do your own again. And then just seeing everything from, yeah, the concept that you came up with, the research you put behind it. And yeah, everything from the title and the logo, and you did a good job with your logo. I think I do like the Dimers one even more, but I really like both of them. Um, yeah, and just honestly, all the hard work you put into the podcast. I mean, I'm in the same room with you usually when you're listening to, what, over 10 hours of sports podcasts. I think it's you, your little Apple headphones, and your computer have been inseparable since August, so... I'm also excited that football's over now, so you can maybe put the laptop down for a little bit, but now I don't even remember what your original question was. 
Yeah, no, that was great. Um, and for a visual reference, I'll, I'll find a way to let people see both the logo that I came up with in my very uh, amateur, but like a, I would say I'm proud of the amateur way that I pieced it together. Um, and then, yeah, Dimers has been a really great partner in the show, and they put together a logo that's so cool. I, I might legitimately ask them to give me a neon sign. I was just about to say that I think we need, we're sitting at our bar right now, our our living room, dining room. We got rid of our dining room table and we actually have a handcrafted bar from an actual carpenter out in Los Angeles. So we're sitting at our bar and I was just thinking like we should have that neon sign version of your Dimers logo over this bar. Or at least I want a shirt with it on it. But yeah, I like that one a lot. You did a good job with yours too. But then when I saw theirs, I have to give them the credit. That one's, that one's really good. Yeah, they're the pros at it, Um, but I think it was great just getting this off the ground before there was a partner like Dimers involved, when it was just the two of us kicking things around, so you touched on it from, um, you know, being a sounding board, that was definitely something I thought of, um, to, yeah, sometimes it's maybe confirming things that I already had in mind, Mm -hmm. but positioning it in a way that can convey the information more clearly, I mean... I'm I'm biased. I make the show, so I do it in a way that I like it. So I'm partial to say that there are some good things. That said, there's plenty of room for improvement. And I think <laughs> most of the good things about the show um, can be attributed directly to a conversation that we've had. So looking forward to more of that. Um, but um, one of the big themes of the show, obviously, sports. And you're not, you know, just my wife supporting things in the background as the unofficial EP. Um, also a big sports fan yourself. You have a lot of knowledge and, and can help shape things in a way um, that I think brings it out more clearly for listeners. So on that note, how would you describe your sports fandom, um, your favorite teams, and how you got into them? Yeah, so I mean, I'm from New York, so you and I have different teams that we root for. I think the only team that we have in common that we root for is USC, and that's only because I went to a university that does not have football. But um, I've been a Yankee fan for a really long time. I remember... I used to go to community camp, and we would always go to um, Mets games for some reason. I think because, well, I know why. They were a lot cheaper. But one year, they actually took us to a Yankee game, and this was obviously old Yankee Stadium. And I remember sitting at Yankee Stadium after having only been to Shea Stadium, and I was like, this place is so much better. And guaranteed, for also for context, like we grew up in the 90s, so the Yankees were really, really good. So I think from then on, just as a little kid, purely aesthetic, (laughs) I became a Yankee fan, not a Mets fan, just because the stadium was so much better and the team was awesome. So yeah, I grew up going to a lot of Yankee games, um, thanks in large part to my mom and her job and her boyfriend. They They were always getting tickets. I remember texting with you, I think it was even before we went to college and met each other, because you had friended me on uh, Facebook. And so before we... Before it was creepy. Yeah, yeah. This was 2005. So it was literally months old. Um, and it was back in the day when you friended everyone who went to your college. And so we both went to Boston University, uh, at least for him for freshman year. And so before entering BU, I think Matt did the sweep where you just like friended everyone at the College of Communications. <laughs> and anyway, I remember, so we started talking all summer and I was texting her. I distinctly remember from Yankee Stadium and you're asking me, what's the score? What's happening? And I'm like giving you text updates and I was hardly even watching the game because I was just texting you all these updates. And then anyway, so I think that's also part of why you friended me because I had Yankees and Giants as 
my interests or my teams. I forget. I don't go on Facebook anymore. But, the, you know, it was on my profile. So, yeah, I love the Yankees. I am a Giants fan, although it's hard to say right now. But they had a really good run, um, obviously, when they beat the Patriots twice. And I was in Australia studying abroad for that first one. That was amazing because I was in Australia, in Sydney, but with a bunch of people from Massachusetts because it was all BU students who went abroad there. So I was pretty much the only Giants fan there, and I believe it was morning time in Sydney when the game was going on, and the bars opened up because for all the expats and students that were studying there and living there. And I just remember the Giants winning that and all the Aussies who were in the bar just throwing their beer glasses against the wall and just shattering them because they didn't even care. I, I mean, they obviously probably know who like the Giants and Patriots are, but they don't care. But they just had such a good time watching us watch the game. So that was pretty memorable. So that was a great time to be a Giants fan. Now, I mean... You can keep everyone updated, but, like, I don't think there's a lot going on with the Giants right now. I can't remember the last time I sat through a whole Giants game. But, um, but yeah, so definitely Yankees, Giants. And then I grew up in Rye, New York. And growing up, the Rangers would practice at Playland's Ice Skating Rink, which is in my hometown. And my sister and I would go ice skating there every Friday after school. Um, and it was always really cool because... The Rangers practiced there for that time growing up. And I remember when they won the Stanley Cup, you would know the year off the top of your head. Was it like 94 or something? Sometime in the right 90s. right before I got into sports. I think it was Messier finally getting his cup, though. Yeah, they won the Stanley Cup. Um, and I remember them taking it through town, um, my little town, and all the stores getting pictures with it and everything. So, yeah, definitely been a Rangers fan. Um We don't watch as much hockey, although I'm dying to go to Vegas to watch a hockey game. I think I have less interest in going to watch a football game in Vegas only because football live for me is challenging unless you just go purely for social reasons. Like we would go to obviously SC games when you could, and that was fun to go with a group and you tailgate. But I think I'd rather actually go see, well, definitely rather see baseball and hockey in person. But I like watching football at a bar with people or at a house with people. But also with hockey at BU, I was an usher for Boston University's hockey team for the three and a half years I was there. So I saw every hockey game as well as pretty much every basketball game and all the concerts. But hockey was definitely the most fun to work. And I had my own designated session um, section. And it was all-season ticket holders. And you would think after all that time I'd learn a lot about hockey, and I know nothing about hockey. But I think that's because I was just so good at my job. <laughs> I was just so focused on the people in my section. But, um, but yeah, so I do have a, like a nice affinity for live hockey because it's so electric just being in that arena with everyone. And hockey fans are pretty diehard, so they're kind of fun. Um, I don't know. Other than that, I never really played many sports well. I did softball for like two seasons, but mostly just because we would go to this deli afterwards and get candy, and that was the best part. (laughs) But I'm not personally very athletic when it comes to team sports, but I do love sitting at a bar or brewery, especially with you and some of our friends, and watching sports. Yeah, can't wait till that's back in play for us. But to add a little bit of context to your point about hockey, Mm -hmm. I remember, especially being from Southern California, um, 
going to my first hockey game at, at the time, I think it was still called the Arrowhead Pond, now the Honda Center where the Ducks play. Again, at the time, it was the Mighty Ducks. And walking in and feeling the ice, especially in California, it's 70 degrees outside and you walk in and you need a jacket and pants. It's not just something you can mentally feel, but even physically, it's a whole different thing being in that arena. And then having just that freshman year at BU, going to the Bean Pot or going to games when Aganis Arena was brand new and the atmosphere, it's a smaller crowd than you get at a football or baseball game, uh, definitely a more intimate setting. But I feel like the average person there is so much more invested in it. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and these are people who, like, they are the season ticket holder. Like, they're the people who go, they're all, like, every week I would see the same people all the time. But it is freezing. So actually when we had concerts there and you'd get to work on the floor as an usher, it was great. But some people also kind of hated it because it's really cold on the floor because there's just, like, these blocks that they put on over the ice, but it's really not much of a insulated floor. So it's, it's even cold for concerts. Yeah. Um, well, plenty of experience there to outline, um, watching sports, a little bit of playing sports, a wide range of, of what we've watched and look forward to going to in person again, when that's mm-hmm. back on the table, hopefully before too long. And, uh, we'd be remiss not to mention the Super Bowl, a big sporting event that just happened. Some people may have heard that Tom Brady won again, uh, Tampa Bay dethroned the Chiefs and wanted to take some time to set a little bit of what I would consider proper perspective on the game. Um, starting off with Patrick Mahomes. He, very widely known, did not throw a touchdown pass, through two interceptions, only completed 53% of his passes. And in spite of those numbers, that was one of the most impressive performances I've ever seen when watching the game. His offensive line was in shambles. He was running for his life. Tyreek Hill dropped a touchdown off his face mask early in the game. Shortly after that, I believe, Travis Kelsey had a drive-killing drop. And then early in the fourth quarter, it's hard to think of a better play that I've ever seen by one individual on a football field. A desperation fourth down. Mahomes was under siege by the Bucks' pass rush. At a certain point, he was falling to the turf. His body was about parallel to the ground. And he just flicked one of the best passes you'll ever see. I think it was about 30 yards to Daryl Williams, just shy of the end zone. Another drop off the face mask. So in the box score, these stats don't look impressive. But I think Mahomes was awesome. And, and one quick question. I want to I ask you something that's unfair. I'm not expecting a close answer. I would not have gotten close if I didn't know this. But it's a staggering number. Um, so according to next-gen stats, how many yards would you guess Patrick Mahomes scrambled before attempting a pass or getting sacked. So he had 52 dropbacks that qualify, 49 pass attempts. He was sacked three times before he got rid of the ball or got sacked on those 52 dropbacks. In total, how many yards did he just scramble to try to keep plays alive? You said he did that 50 times? 52 dropbacks, yeah. Oh my God, I'm so bad at math. (laughs) Is like 500 a stupid guess? That's a phenomenal guess. Oh my goodness. If we had a gold star, I would literally give it to you right now. 497 yards. All right. Wow. <laughs> well, because I was thinking 10 yards for each attempt, that's, basically. That's a great rule of thumb. Yeah, a nice little okay. heuristic there because that was the most by any quarterback in any game since Next Gen Stats started tracking it in 2016. Um, yeah, so there, there you go. If you're wondering if um, my wife has any credibility speaking to this, there is your clear-cut answer. Um, yeah, watching the game together, um, I know I, I view it one way, but what did you think of how Mahomes played despite the results? 
Oh, he was great. I was going to say the whole game was boring, <laughs> but I thought he was great. It was just that it was kind of hard to watch, though, because to your point, it's like I felt like he kept doing everything he could to keep it alive, but sometimes you could see whatever's going on with his foot, the turf toe or something. You could see that was kind of bugging him, and then it's, you know, he would do something great or keep a play alive, and then no one could catch anything or it was out of bounds. So it just felt like he had everything kind of working against him, not to make him a complete victim, but it sort of looked that way. And then Tom Brady and Tampa Bay sort of had everything working for them, including some of the refs in the first half, especially. They were a little too involved, but um, I was just, I mean, I didn't quite care who won. It would have been cool to see Mahomes win again. That would have been great. But I just wanted it to be a lot closer, and I wanted to see some more interesting plays, like, when the guy running on the field is the most exciting thing that happens in the game, it's a bad game. Um, but having said that, I think what what Brady did with Tampa Bay is really impressive. But I think what Mahomes did with seemingly nothing <laughs> working for him was equally impressive. It just didn't get a great result, but he was he was fun to watch. Yeah, I'd like to touch on Tampa Bay in a second, but in the aftermath of the Super Bowl, I think... There have been some people saying what this means to to both players' legacies. And it's Tom Brady deserves all the respect mm-hmm. in the world, but any knock on Mahomes' reputation or legacy, I think is simply out of line. Um, I, I would argue, having just watched the game, he looked better in the Super Bowl 55 loss than in the Super Bowl 54 win last year. I need to rewatch the games to really dig in on that opinion, but just watching both of them live, um, it seemed like he was, to your point, doing all he could kind of as a one-man team. And it feels it feels like he's getting more criticism for having made it to the Super Bowl and then not winning than if he hadn't even gotten to the Super Bowl this year in the first place. And that draws a parallel in my mind to the LeBron versus Jordan debate, where uh, I would still say Jordan was clearly the better player. And at the same time, looking at NBA Finals win percentage is the last leg you need to stand on if you're making that pro-Jordan argument. So... On that note, would you think it's more impressive to make it to four either Super Bowls or NBA Finals or the equivalent, or um, you know going to four and winning all four, or let's say going to eight and you go four and four? Like which one of those sounds more impressive? Going to eight, and even if I won only one of eight, I think I'd rather be in eight Super Bowls than have only been in you know whether it's four or two and won all of them. I just think you always want to be a contender, and with Mahomes, I mean people knocking him. You follow that obviously more than I do, but I'm like, what is he, 25? And he's been in back-to-back Super Bowls right now? Like, he's got, I mean, look, I mean, no one's probably going to match Brady, and he's, what, 42 and still playing? But even just being conservative, even Mahomes for five more years, which I think he has more than that in him, this is already super impressive. I mean, there's a lot of amazing players who never even make it to one Super Bowl to lose, let alone two, and he's won one of them. So, and again, yes, seeing what he was able to do with, again, everything seemingly going against them, uh, I, I think that's dumb. I think if any any coach in their right mind would drop everything to get Mahomes. Like, that's always what I think of in my head, of like, what would people give up to get a player that were so easy to knock? And well, yeah, whether it's LeBron or Mahomes or whatever, I'm like, anyone in their right mind would clear the books for that guy. So I just think it's dumb to criticize him. And it's just hard because he's up against Brady, and obviously his stats are amazing, but Brady's been playing for 20 years. Mahomes has been playing for, what, three? <laughs> I have four. This was his fourth season as the starter. <laughs> I mean, it's just the thing of, like, how do you compare those two? And I think it's we also do a disservice when we actually even try to compare in the first place. 
They're two different people, two different teams, two different careers, completely different age demographics. Like, the situations are different, so I don't think that's even fair. I just think we have to enjoy watching great people play well. Yeah, I like that point a lot where it doesn't have to be about saying whoever wins this one game is the best and whoever loses, it's a demerit. Uh, There's like those times too, right, where like, I mean, you can do in our life, like we're not obviously professional athletes, but whether it's like a project at work or these guys, like a game, sometimes like you can fail and you're more proud of what you did even though it didn't turn out the way you wanted than if you win or do well with something but you're like, oh gosh, like I just... I didn't look great in that. I didn't feel great in that. I don't think I played well. So even though the outcome was good, something about the process felt off. So, I mean, that's where, again, with your question before about being in a bunch of Super Bowls and losing or, you know, one or just a few and winning them all, I'm like, I think you just want the shots on goal. Like, you just want to be – you want to keep going towards that. And even if you don't win every time, just to be in it, I think, says a lot. And you'd probably be – like, I don't know. If you talk to Mahomes now, I'm sure he's – pretty upset but I think he can't be mad at himself for how he played especially considering that again he has an injury which I don't still quite know what turf toe is but it sounds painful (laughs) yeah I think he had surgery we're recording this on Wednesday and I believe Mahomes had surgery earlier today so he was clearly playing at less than 100% Um, and yeah I didn't want to paint it out that he was being you know too harshly criticized I think most people would agree that this wasn't a big knock against him but the fact that there's been any talk of what this would mean against him um, I th- mm. I've heard certain podcasts or media outlets saying you know even if they just maybe peg him down one or two percent I'm like why why bring him <laughs> down at all with you know with what he did given the circumstances I think given the year two and everything going on like I think it's amazing that we've had you know, an NBA championship, we've had a World Series, we've had a Super Bowl. <laughs> so part of it, too, is it's just such a strange year. I know football had the most time to get prepared for everything, but I, again, I think after everything that everyone's been through in 2020, and now the beginning of even 2021 was rough, you know, not to bring all that into it, but like, let's just sit back and appreciate what was, what people were able to accomplish. Yeah, I love that perspective. And speaking of appreciating things, uh, looking at the Tampa Bay side from the Super Bowl, um, you know, we we covered, I think, Mahomes and the Chiefs side pretty well. You mentioned it. My thought was that the Chiefs defense seemed like it was getting penalized simply for being on the field for most of the first half. Um, So there were a lot of breaks that seemed to go the Bucks' way. But that said, they do deserve all the credit in the world for what they did. I think Bruce Arians, Todd Bowles, Byron Leftwich, the whole coaching staff put together an excellent game plan. Tom Brady and Gronk went back in time with their performance. And then the Bucks, even in the trenches, their offensive line and their defensive line, really the entire defense was dominant. So yes, Tampa Bay still got some breaks, but they made the most of them. And I think this game was the shining example of playing well and benefiting from positive variants, not being mutually exclusive. So even though the Bucks got a lot of breaks, it was still really fun to watch the way they approached that game. Yeah, I mean, I think it is fun seeing um, Brady and Gronk back together. I was even watching, I guess, their celebration on the boats today, or I saw some videos of it, and, you know, Tom Brady was throwing the trophy to Gronk on another boat, and you're just like, oh, wow, that's like the only time I ever see Tom Brady being playful, is like Gronk brings out that side of him. So it's also just a fun story, just the two of them together, and Again, clearly it's not just looks, there's some substance there. Like, they just click, and it's it clearly wasn't just, like, a Patriots thing. They're doing it in Tampa Bay, too. So um, that's where, like, 
regardless of what outcome you wanted in the game, it was fun to watch things just go so well for Tampa Bay. Like, it was so well played, and it did kind of feel like a throwback because it was a bit of, like, that duo reuniting. Um, But, yeah, like I said, I I wish the game was more balanced overall. Uh, And it was also fun, too, for the game to be hosted in Tampa Bay with Tampa Bay playing. I could only imagine, though, what would have happened in Florida if it wasn't a pandemic then that place probably would have been even crazier. But I still think they probably had a really good time there. I haven't really followed up much. You could let me know. But I'm sure they probably attracted still a really good crowd for that. And especially Tampa Bay. Like, they're not a market you talk about that often. So this is huge for them. Yeah. Well, we'll get to see what it looks like next year when a team wins a Super Bowl at home in a non-pandemic time because <laughs> the Chargers clearly are going to do it. So Who's we'll see what that looks like. Do they the have Chargers a quarterback? quarterback? Yeah. Justin Herbert. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll touch briefly on him in a moment. He was a revelation this year. It was awesome. Um, but before we move on entirely from the Bucks, I think the, the Brady Grant connection you spoke to was really fun to see. In my mind, it just seemed like they broke the rules. Like a couple concepts I've thought of, one being... When you're having a good time at a bar with a bunch of friends, again, when that's a safe thing to do, um, trying to move the party to another location, it's just so rare that you can recapture the magic. And Brady took his party from New England to Tampa Bay, and it seemingly got even better if you look at this year compared to his last year with the Patriots. And then another notion of getting the band back together, that's always fun in theory, never as good in reality, but Brady and Gronk proved to be the exception. Um, and then one more thought on on those two, this one more specific to Gronk. When I was going for my run on Super Sunday before the game, at a certain point I noticed this classic red convertible. It looked really sleek. And, and looking back, I'm like, that car is the perfect comp for Gronk on Super Sunday. Like, in the garage most of the year, but on Super Sunday, cruising with the top down, just making the most of it. So it was surreal to see Brady and Gronk pull this off on a stage like the Super Bowl, in Tampa Bay in 2021, like, we saw it enough in New England, but even for the last few years we hadn't. Gronk even retired after the Rams Super Bowl, that 13-3 thriller. Um, so to see them come back and do this in 2021 for the Bucks, um, again, moving the party to another location, bringing the band back together, it, it was just surreal. And, and I think even if you weren't a Bucks fan, it's something that's hard not to appreciate. Yeah, it kind of fit, like, the atmosphere too, right? Because you're going from, like, you know, a stuffy Patriots, like, ruled with an iron fist kind of team to, like, Florida, which is the opposite of all of that. It's fun. And you can tell they were just having a good time. Like, I mean, I kind of was surprised when Brady signed with Tampa Bay. But, again, I mean, I'm not dumb. Like, I didn't doubt him. (laughs) But you're like, Brady and Tampa Bay? But it clearly worked. And, again, I think also because they clearly gave him the latitude to do what he wanted. Like, you know, he's probably running more of that show than is even visible to the naked eye. So I think that also says a lot for that Patriots magic. I I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say Bill Belichick isn't an amazing coach, but clearly Tom Brady did, I think, even more than we all thought he did in um, New England because to do what they did in Tampa Bay, not just anyone could do that, even an amazing quarterback. Yeah, well, with the Patriots, he was known to take less money than he could have commanded, mm-hmm. um, especially in a league with, you know, there are still ways to work around the salary cap. People are panicking about the Saints situation. They're probably going to be fine. Um, but it still helps to pay a quarterback 15 or $20 million instead of 30 or $40 million. 
um, and that allows them to build a better team around him, or to get guys like Antonio Brown to keep their act together for you know <laughs> even joining the team midseason just a few months. Like that is a triumph with a guy like that in his track record. So um, yeah, to see the way that he can almost bend the game to his will, uh, it, it's really impressive, and it goes beyond his own you know his own diet and his you know workout routine, but beyond the way he prepares himself. Um, the way that he can prepare and rally a whole team around him. Uh, clearly, he showed that even in Tampa Bay, he can take that team to new heights in just one season. So then wait, so because pa- the Patriots were always known for like, they could take the rejects, the problem children and like get them in line. And it was always that thing of like, if you if you can't get your act together in New England, like you can't get together anywhere. So now I think with Antonio Brown is that that clears the case in Tampa Bay. So is that also like tracing more back to Brady than even Belichick? It's an interesting point. I think Brady seems to be a big advocate for the Bucks getting Antonio Brown when they could, but Belichick is still the ultimate yeah. disciplinarian. So I think it's probably a, a matter of, I mean, if you're if you're out of line in New England, you're not going to last, and that still holds true. But I think players are probably more willing to you know, do all they can to change things and get their act together if it means a chance to play with Brady versus going to cold New England and sucking it up with Belichick. Yeah, I think I'd rather party in Florida too. Yeah. Um, cool, so that's tying a bit of a bow around the Super Bowl and everything the Bucks just accomplished. Now, looking back on the football season as a whole, to your point, let's appreciate that we got the whole season. Um there were some games that got rescheduled. I think every single day of the week over the last six months, we've had a football game at some point. So definitely a season unlike any other. What would you say was your favorite part of this past football season? Well, clearly following the Chargers so closely since I know their quarterback and everything. Um, <laughs> no, I think that was obvious that I did not watch any Chargers games with you. You didn't miss much? No, apparently I missed a great quarterback, but not much beyond that. Um uh, I'm trying to think of my favorite part of the football season. Well, I did like watching the playoff games because, I mean, they weren't all that exciting, but just to see Buffalo in there, I mean, again, they're the only team that actually plays in New York, uh, and my grandmother's from there. So that was kind of, like, it was kind of fun seeing those teams were like, they made it? Um, the Browns? Yeah, like I was kind of rooting for, and I'm not an underdog person. Like I said, I, I'm a Yankee fan. <laughs> but there is something fun in football. Like I kind of like the changing of the guard that it feels like it happens more in football than other sports where, you know, just after a couple of years, you can you can just make it to pretty far, if not to the Super Bowl. Um, so I think that was actually the most fun, and it got me excited for – this coming year because I want to see if those same teams again like the Browns and the Bills can do that again and maybe even go a little further um it was I do like seeing repeats so like it was fun seeing the Chiefs again so pardon me especially after how this ended I would like to see them get another shot at a Super Bowl and who knows maybe it can be a rematch because it doesn't look like Brady's going anywhere anytime soon um I did want the Saints though to go farther because is, is Breeze actually retiring it's not official yet, but it's all but official. Yeah, like, that was cool, too, because I really wanted to see... I like Drew Brees, and so I wanted to see him get one more chance, kind of go out like how Peyton Manning did. You know, even if he's not playing great, it's like he's done so much. Just 
just give him another game, even if he's just more of a, a manager of it <laughs> than an actual factor in the victory. I wanted him to have a Peyton Manning exit. Um, and then I wanted to see Aaron Rodgers win too. So that was a little disappointing. So that's why even though the playoffs didn't quite go as I wanted them to, I like seeing the people I liked in the mix and having some surprise teams in the mix. So I thought that was good. It didn't feel like the usual suspects. Um, even if the games weren't all that exciting. I kind of feel like that's actually a good like way for me to sum up the years. Like the games themselves weren't that exciting, but the stories and the people around the games were really interesting. Yeah, I think there was a lot of potential. You know, the Super Bowl, there was no shortage of narratives with Mahomes versus Brady. Um, even the AFC title game was a bit of a dud. The Bills were really on the upswing, mm-hmm. and after they beat the Ravens um, pretty impressively the weekend before, we thought that might be more of a game. The NFC title game actually was competitive, but the bigger storylines afterward were more about coaching mistakes and Rodgers not doing something he could have done to possibly run in a touchdown rather than how amazing it was that something did happen. So yeah, there were maybe some some really compelling storylines, but hopefully next season it's more a case of really enjoying what does happen during games than wondering what could have been. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I forgot about that. That <laughs> was it they kicked a field goal. That was so stupid. <laughs> I felt you, bad for Aaron Rodgers. I wanna, I'm surprised he didn't storm off the field. <laughs> I want to clip that audio and just almost any time a team kicks a field goal in any game situation, just that was so stupid. Kicking, <laughs> field goals, punting. It's like, hey, you know, you might want to go for it on fourth down. It's kind of like that's the thing too with football, right? Like it's like do or die. There's it's not like a series where there's seven games and it's like, okay, we lost this one. We'll give it our best in two days when we play game three or whatever. Like this is it. <laughs> I just don't understand. Like, you literally have nothing to lose but the game. So, like, you have to actually try to win. So, I was shocked. And, again, just having observed Rodgers for, what, like, the 15 years he's played, I was shocked, like, he didn't throw a bit of a fit. Yeah. <laughs> I would have. Well, again, that's another case kind of like what we talked about with Mahomes where after that game people are like, here we go again. Rodgers has only won one Super Bowl. I believe he's only been to one. Like, can't get it done in the big moments. And it's like, yeah, he did not play a perfect game, and he probably should have run the ball on third down. It quite possibly would have been a touchdown, but he didn't even get the opportunity on fourth down with the season on the line. And by the way, he was an MVP this season. So if you want to knock him for one or two plays that didn't go right in the NFC title game, um, he's won a Super Bowl. He knows how to perform on the biggest stage. Just to get to the NFC title game, or that one Super Bowl that he won, by the way, you have to win in big moments just to even get there. So the arguments against him being clutch or performing in big moments um, just totally smacks of BS. Again, it was an MVP season, and you have to make a lot of plays to win the MVP award. So it was a bummer that the ball got taken out of his hands. Um, Yeah, I think that's a good point. Just one of those seasons where a lot of storylines that we had to look forward to, but um, clearly not all of them actually came through in reality. I don't think any of them did. (laughs) It was just kind of like... A lot of buildup to kind of be let down, but it was still just sort of fun it was happening. But that's kind of disappointing. People are crapping on Rodgers and even, like, Mahomes. I'm like, you're crapping on two of the best... Again, like, any team would be happy to have them. Like, I've watched a lot of really bad quarterback play, too, this season. So that's just, like, people, I think, finding something to pick at, just to nitpick. And also, at the end of the day, too, okay, so he's gone to one Super Bowl and won that Super Bowl... That's better than most people. Are you kidding me? I don't understand that. And he's still been playing for, what, 15 years? That's amazing. 
Yeah, well, I think the point you've brought up of what other teams would give to get these guys, I mean, if the, again, it's a hypothetical, and I, I generally try to stay away from them, but I think you bring up a good point here, where if we were able to hold a draft, let's say, just for the 2021 NFL season, who were the first two players off the board? Mahomes is number one. Yeah. And if Rodgers isn't number two, he's pretty close behind. Yeah, and probably just because, too, like, again, like, it's good to, like, Brady, but, like, he's older. So I guess for that one season, maybe. But, yeah, like, I would take Mahomes and Rodgers over Brady, not as, like, a hater of Brady. It's just, again, age. Like, he can be that person, like, honestly, nothing would surprise me with him. He could play for another like, three years and be amazing, or who knows, age might catch up with him. And then this coming season, it's it's nothing like the last one. You just don't know. But, like, again, Mahomes is, what is he, like, 25? Take him in a heartbeat. Pay him whatever he wants. Blank check. Yeah. Well, to round out this part of the show, I'll note as a better, my favorite part of the football season was betting teasers and, and props, especially the one-yard touchdown. Um, basically, the prop that would be shortest touchdown under one and a half yards was amazing this year. We saw more scoring than ever. Um, I think the lack of a home field advantage with crowd noise not disrupting opposing teams. You know, when when the visiting team is down in the red zone and they can communicate with each other just as well as the offense can, that changes the game a little bit. So one-yard touchdowns, cashing at a big rate was really fun. Um, teasers were fun because as the point spreads get more efficient, um, that means when you're buying six points either way, the value of those points goes up because games tend to cluster uh, you know, more closely to the point spreads that the odds makers are setting. Um, so it was really a banner year for teasers in that one-yard touchdown prop. But as a fan... Um, the Chargers do have a quarterback. His name is Justin <laughs> Herbert. He was the rookie of the year. And I remember watching the draft and hoping, knowing it was a long shot, but hoping that the Dolphins might take him so that the Chargers could pick Tua. And when Miami took Tua, which seemed like the smart move, everybody seemed to agree. I'm not going to lie. I was bummed out about it because I, I wanted him to play for the Chargers. Um, and there's plenty of time for things to develop. But through one season, uh, Herbert exceeded all expectations and and Tua I think has a brighter future than some might want to give him credit for just because it's tough to step in in your rookie season and get shuttled between the starter and the backup with Ryan Fitzpatrick Um, but I mean Herbert blew everybody out of the water this year so it was exciting to see that again being partial as a Chargers fan Um, also seeing them finally make the move to get a new head coach uh, it's going to take some time to see if this was a great hire or not. I know some people are bummed that they didn't go with an offensive mind. They took the Rams defensive coordinator. Um, but, you know, he, he's a guy who played quarterback in college and says he's a defensive coach with an offensive mindset. Um, something to that effect. Because he's played on the offensive mm-hmm. side of the ball, knows defense well. Um, I believe I've seen that he watches the sloan analytics conference held at mit every year on youtube because he's really into analytics and and data that can give you an edge so just moving one percent in that direction would be a massive upgrade for a team with as much talent as the chargers have so um you know tongue-in-cheek saying they'll be playing the super bowl at home next year but it's it's certainly more possible with brandon staley than it was with anthony lynn on the sidelines so something to look forward to there um moving forward to the other end of the spectrum what would you say might have been your least favorite part of this past football season? Mm. 
It's okay to think for a sec. <laughs> think about it. I'll jump in with mine. Um, the never-ending COVID news cycle was really tough. As a fan, you're just wondering, is this game even happening on this day? Is it going to be played? When's it going to be played? Oh, yeah. Wasn't there that Steelers game that was like on a Wednesday? <laughs> I think it got moved two, uh, if not three times. That was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, I mean, it just kind of was, it did sort of suck when you turn on a game. And that's, I guess... Maybe I'm giving myself a little bit of credit here. Why I'm sometimes forgetful of like who was playing because it's true. You're like, are they in their like fourth string quarterback? It's like, oh, because everyone has COVID. <laughs> Especially in the beginning, towards the end of the season, I think that petered out a bit, but that was kind of annoying. Um, and again, I'm not the better. That's that's more you, but like that's really hard also to make bets or even just to go into a game you think it's going to be an exciting game and you're like, I don't even know who these people are who are playing because then you realize like, oh well, 15 players have COVID. So that was that was definitely annoying. Yeah, I'd say to that, that was one of my biggest thoughts too, was as a better, the added variance mm-hmm. made it tough. Um, variance is not your friend when you're betting into a number that you think is favorable. That said, it can swing both ways. So I think some people were more hesitant to make bets this year. Like maybe instead of betting early in the week, they would wait because somebody might test positive. Well, if, if a number opens and you think it's soft and let's say the Chiefs are favored by three in a game and you like them, um, you know, it's just as likely that the other team's starting quarterback tests positive for COVID that Patrick Mahomes does. And if Mahomes tests positive, you're going to kick yourself. But if the other team, you know, has an outbreak, then suddenly your bet's looking really favorable. Um, But wasn't sports betting up big time this season? So clearly that didn't deter people, mm -hmm. the variance. And I think a big part of sports betting going up, and this is something that'll be fun to revisit often with Mike Roselli, um, is the legalization gained a lot of steam. Uh, Part of it, I would have to look year over year in a state like Nevada, or even I I think New Jersey's been up and running for a while now, so this wasn't brand new for them this year. Um, A lot of states did join the fray early on in the season, or even Michigan came on pretty late to take advantage of the conference championship and Super Bowl windows. So part of it is up because people have more options. And part of it definitely could be up because it was just something to do when, you know, in September and October, I mean, being in California, we've had months of stay at home orders, you know, being enforced and lifted and then back on. So that's something to do. And I think people might have been betting more for that. But I think there was also some hesitation to bet early because it's like, oh, if this guy gets COVID, then my bet sucks. And it's like, well, if the other team's best guy gets COVID, then you're sitting pretty. So it's definitely a double-edged sword, but the uncertainty was tough. And selfishly putting a podcast together and thinking, I had a perfect outline on Thursday night. I'm going to record early Friday morning, wake up to news that um, Taysom Hill was starting at quarterback for the Saints. Or um, there were just so many instances of having to basically throw a week's worth of research out the window and redo it from scratch on a Friday morning. Um, and that's okay, that comes with the territory. I would rather do that than not have a season at all, but really excited for next season, you know, hopefully even by the time it kicks off to just no longer be in, in a pandemic that's affecting things to nearly the level that we've seen for going on 11 months now. But I thought your least favorite part would be that bet that went bad during the Super Bowl with the guy running on the field. We we can get to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I am one of the guys who was not on... Uh, on the inner circle of the the story goes that the Super Bowl streaker had told people he was going to do this and had them place bets. Oh. I think it's getting blown out of proportion. Um, there are reports that you know he he got upwards of fifty thousand dollars down on this prop and that would pay out at seven and a half to one. There's 
um, $375,000, and that can cover the cost of going to the game and bailing yourself out. And I was like, that. didn't he get arrested? But at the same time, um, that that's an interesting story, and a lot of people seem to want to believe it. But the way this works, you don't just go into a sports book and bet $50,000 on a prop bet like that. Um, if you bet more than a few hundred, you're probably going to raise some eyebrows. Mm. And uh, some people are like, well, maybe they got down a little bit at a lot of different places. There simply aren't that many options. There's no way they got down 50 grand on this. You know, maybe they placed limit bets at a few different books and were able to offset some of the cost. But um, I think that narrative is getting a little bit too much credit because it would be kind of funny if it was true, like sticking it to the man. Uh, in a way, I kind of see a parallel to the whole GameStop thing. But the way this works in reality, especially at regulated books in the U.S., like you... I don't even think any regulated books offer that prop. And being in California where we don't have legalization, I know the offshores have it. But again, if you're trying to move anything close to serious money, uh, good luck. You know, you're, it's like trying to bet your life savings on the national anthem or the Gatorade color. Like, they're not going to take more than a pretty small amount that they're comfortable with. So that said, I, I did bet that there would be no fan on the field in the Super Bowl. Um, that was... That was a costly decision. <laughs> it ate away a lot of the season's profits. But that said, um, based on the narrative coming out of the game and, oh, somebody could just bet on themselves to do it and get their friends to put money down and cover the cost, I'm curious to see what this land looks like next year because I, I laid about 19 to 1 this year. And next year, if it's available for you know closer to 15 or 10 to 1, I am happy to double down on it because I don't know if we'll ever see that again in our betting lifetimes. Do you think they'd be allowed to have that as a prop? Because don't you think the NFL would want to take that off that this rumor, which again probably isn't true, you know, wouldn't come to fruition again? Because it's true. It's like the one bet you can control as a fan, and they obviously don't want people running on the field. So do you think they would just want to try to eliminate that even as an option? Where it's regulated, they're already doing that. Okay. And like if you go to Vegas or, or pretty much any legal sports book in different states, um, the rule of thumb, as I understand it, is that they overwhelmingly only offer bets that can be graded based on looking at the box score of a game. Mm. So um, I think some of them have started to do things with the anthem or the Gatorade color, but the you know whether it's the Nevada Gaming Control Board or the equivalent in other states, they run a pretty tight ship. And if there was anything that could you know possibly lead to corruption, um, you know they they would make sure to quash that pretty quickly. So this is more the unregulated sports books. And that's, you're just, I know it's playing with fire to use a bunch of offshores, but again, being in California when that's the only option, okay. Like it's worked out very well over the years and sometimes you get a crappy outcome and that's the way it goes. Well, I think it's actually probably even smarter to bet it again next year if it's an option because don't you think, like, I mean, they kind of look like fools allowing that guy. Like the guy shouldn't have been able to get on the field, let alone near it. So you got to know that for next year, whether it's regular games or definitely the Super Bowl again, they can't let this happen again. So I would definitely bet that it wouldn't happen either because they would just look like idiots. Well, that's I thought I was <laughs> so smart. I embarrassingly did some research on this and I knew, I, everybody knew, okay, there's going to be a fraction of the usual fans. At first it sounded like 22,000. Uh, they bumped it up to about 25,000 for the game. Knowing that 7,500 of those fans were healthcare workers given free tickets, I'm like, well, they're really probably not going to get drunk and run on the field. Um, I figured there's a fraction of the just j the general number of variables to even pull this off if they want to relative to a typical Super Bowl. Plus, um, where I thought I might have an edge was, I believe it was the first 10 rows of seats being tarped off. 
Um, I mean, good for the league making money. There, there was signage, you know, sponsorship all over those tarps. So that's some extra revenue. You know, why not? That's cool. But I'm thinking, okay, now if a fan wants to run on the field, security should see it coming from a mile away. You're not, nobody's sitting in the first few rows. It's not just a matter of hopping over a, a post and then in a couple seconds you're on the field. It it takes more time to develop. So um, knowing the smaller crowd, the first, you know, several rows being tarped off, and then the fine print where I placed the bet was that the fan must run on the field of play, which could be different than, you know, I thought, okay, if they try to get to the field, I could see them trying to run down the tarps and hop over. And But at that point, by the time you're even close to a sideline, I'm amazed security was not positioned to act on it. So again, this was a non-football bet. So in a sense, I kind of had it coming and I can live with this loss. But I think the NFL is going to get it together. You know, Roger Goodell could not have been pleased to see that. Um... And I touched on one thing earlier, the notion of corruption being why a lot of books especially try to regulate things to the extent of being graded in a box score. Um, Thank goodness when that happened, I mean, it's a bummer the game was boring, but that would have been crazy. If it's, think about it, if it's a tie game and a team has the ball, they're in the two minute drill in the fourth quarter, they're running a no huddle and a fan runs on the field and they have to take a timeout. That, That just totally messes with the flow of the game and could play, you know, it would be a small role, but that's a, that's a material impact on the outcome of a game in this case luckily it had no impact on anything except for my bankroll for deciding to take the plunge yeah yeah, the game wasn't even close it like it did remind me of that blackout a few years ago uh, in the super bowl but that was also different and that was a lot earlier in the game right that was shortly after the halftime show the the theory with that was that beyonce either (laughs) through her mystical powers or through the you know the electricity that she required to do her show somehow did something. I think a simpler story is that it was played in the Superdome, which is yeah, not the right. most up-to-date venue. Um, but yeah, that's a good point because there were prop bets for the few years after that. Will there be a blackout at any point in future Super Bowls? And I think those were lined in the range of 40 to 1 or 50 to 1. And at those numbers, it's scary to take the plunge because if it happens, you're going to lose a lot. But at the same time, that should have been 400 to 1 or 500 to 1. So just going into it with the approach that I'm not going to bet more than I could afford to lose, but if I bet this a hundred times, it probably doesn't lose, or maybe it loses once. It, you know, when you think about it from that numbers perspective and, and betting this several times over your betting lifetime, the value is clear. It just comes down to the intestinal fortitude, again, to take that plunge. So that was a fun tangent. <laughs> Thank you for bringing up the uh, the most expensive betting loss of my lifetime, but those things happen, so it's okay. I'll, I'll look to find a good number on that no fan on the field prop once again this time next year um now that we're in the off season the 2020 season's behind us we got our super bowl um i know you didn't watch a ton this year but is there (laughs) anything you're gonna miss about football during the off season these coming six months or so um well i i mean it doesn't feel like it's going away because i do like the the draft it's always my birthday weekend so i always watch like the first day of the draft um, and I liked last year what they did with the draft, so I'm kind of like hoping they really like raise the bar this year because that was hysterical. I mean, even Bill Belichick made me laugh with his dog behind the computer. So I feel like football never goes away, <laughs> so I don't really have enough time to miss it because then also then uh, baseball comes back, which hopefully this year we can actually go to a baseball game. Like I would love like around 4th of July to be able to go to a game. I don't know. We'll see. But um, missing with football... No, because I, I do think, too, don't you think there's going to be a lot of interesting trades? I've already been hearing rumors. So I think there's going to be a lot to follow. 
But aside from that, I mean, it will be nice to free up our Sundays a bit more. (laughs) So I won't miss like having, it's like our living room turning into a command center like every Sunday for football. But I do think there's going to be enough going on because football seems to still be like a year round sport, just even with all the talk around it. That by the time you even start to miss it, it's back before you know it. And then baseball gets exciting. And then, you know, we'll have exciting basketball too. Like that won't be so thrown off. So I don't know. I don't really think I'm going to miss a lot because I don't think it's going anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's some good points there. I I will miss what's commonly referred to as the witching hour. That time on Sunday afternoons with the Red Zone channel on. Usually it's about 1230 to 130 Pacific where we've got... Somewhere in the range of eight games ending simultaneously. And sometimes it's ridiculous when half of them or more have amazing things happening all at the same See, time. I don't like that. It's too distracting. There's too much going on. And again, that's why I think I just crave like just watching one really good game and being invested in one. I don't like being distracted um, by like watching eight games going on. Like I don't like the red zone, but I know why you like it. <laughs> But I'd rather, like, I in an ideal world, sit and watch a really good game or, like, back-to-back. That's why I like the playoffs. You know, like, you'd have, like, two really good games in, like, one afternoon. And, like, when you can be with friends or at a bar with people, like, and then just everyone's all together watching the same thing. I like that more. I don't like when they cut to one game for 30 seconds and then cut to another. And then it's, like, the side-bottom screen has something going on. You can't see it. So I... What you miss, I'm so happy is gone. <laughs> <laughs> I think a good middle ground there would be the setup that David Malinsky had, where he everything he did, there was a story and a purpose behind it. And he had three monitors mm-hmm. in his setup. And that was so that he could watch more than one game at a time to make efficient use of his time. But knowing that if he's trying to follow more than three games simultaneously, he's not going to be able to pay enough attention to anyone to pick up on what he should be able to pick up on to gain an edge. So I I get it. Sometimes it it can be a little bit overwhelming. The first time I ever saw what I think they call it, the Octobox on the Red Zone channel, like eight games at once, it it seemed like the coolest thing in the world for a little bit. And then I realized it, it was definitely uh, definitely a bit much. It's like watching eight games at once, you might as well be watching zero. I don't know how you retain any of the information. Dave, even having three TVs, I think ideally I would have two, like side by side, because I think if I have any, th- any more than two things going on at once, I like to think I can multitask, but like 70% of the information just goes out the window. Yeah, well, you you brought up some good points about the NFL being a year-round business, so we're mm-hmm. not going to miss too much, uh, aside from the games being played themselves. Um, <laughs> we're recording this Wednesday night. By the time anybody hears it, Carson Wentz may be on a new team. Oh. Um, there's been plenty of talk about Deshaun Watson, who's to say yeah. if or when he'll move. Um, even even different storylines like Russell Wilson finally speaking up on wanting to be involved in the Seahawks personnel decisions. Um, or Can he? It's it's an interesting era where I think player empowerment is on the rise. And if you've got a guy like Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson, um, I know there are owners and GMs and head coaches, but if you've got a quarterback like that, chances are he's the most important person in your franchise. So I think they're in a position now where there's enough leverage that they can start to demand it. And and it seems like things are moving that way. So we've think- seen what LeBron's done in the NBA, and I think a lot of the star quarterbacks in the NFL, I mean... Brady, for all intents and purposes, has a bit of a, you know, a GM and coaching role. Oh, yeah. LeBron and Brady, totally. But that's why I was surprised. And I like Russell Wilson a lot. But that's interesting. 
I didn't think about some of those younger guys. Although, I mean, Russell Wilson's playing for longer than I'm thinking right now, I guess. He's been around for a while, but that's going to be kind of interesting because there is a thing, too, of I worry about, like, too many cooks in the kitchen. Like, I'm by no means saying that, like, the general manager and even the coach should be, like, the only two voices, but then it's, like, if you give one player that say, where does that stop? Because on some teams, too, the quarterback isn't the best player. So then it's, like, okay – you know, whatever, your other position player, does, like, he get a say? Like, that's why I'm just interested to see where that goes because I think we can always put, like, the LeBrons and Bradys, just like the Michael Jordans, like, on some kind of pedestal. Like, oh, they're in this, like, a league of their own. But then once you open up to these other also amazing players, but, you know, there's quite a few really good quarterbacks and players in the NFL, and if they get a say in personal decisions, it's like, oh, then are we running these teams by committee? Like, that's just, like... I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just interested to see how that goes. Should Russell Wilson get his way? How is that going to trickle through the rest of the league? Yeah, and that's a really fair point because right now I think the NFL is in a position where the stars have, have probably not had enough of an opportunity to mm-hmm. to cash in or take advantage of whatever leverage they should have. But there's a delicate balance in there. So to see it moving a little bit the player's way, sure. Again, if you've got a Deshaun Watson, a Russell Wilson, um, again, even as a Chargers fan with Justin Herbert on a rookie deal, I'm like, just just cherish this and nurture the hell out of him to make the most of this opportunity. But at the same time, if you've got every player thinking they can walk in and call the shots, then yeah, there's, there is a purpose and there's a lot to be gained by having a clear structure and organizational hierarchy. So... I think that hierarchy might be getting rejiggered a little bit in certain cases, and there are areas and certain teams where that makes sense, but it's going to be worth monitoring. You know, if, if that picks up too much steam, it could easily swing too far the other way. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. Yeah. So, all right, we've talked about what we would miss during the offseason and and you mentioned probably not a whole lot very little <laughs> what are you most looking forward to during the offseason well I guess to figure to, to you know bring it full circle what I was saying like I do want to see where people end up because I do think there's going to be a lot of moves um or again now this thing that you just brought up like well now I want to see what players get say in personnel and how the teams run that's very interesting um and again, like, I think I am most excited to see what teams rise again. Like, is it, was this just a strange year all around? And I don't want to give COVID too much credit, but was that some kind of leveler that, like, helped some teams, like, rise to the top? Or, you know, are they the same ones that we saw kind of surprise us this year? Are they going to be able to keep the momentum going? Um, I think that's what I'm interested in. And then, yeah, like, I want to see if people, like, Breeze are gone, who who steps up? Like, who's this next class of, hopefully, like, star quarterbacks? Yeah, I love that you answered that from a football standpoint, because a couple of things I thought of are very much not football-related, but... Oh, I thought you were asking about the season. Yeah, well, more like what, <laughs> what you're most looking forward to during the off-season. Oh, but like you, Everything you brought up, there are questions that we will get some clarity on during the off-season, so I thought was it valid. was a football question. Well, personally, what I'm looking forward to, I mean, like I said, now we have weekends open, like, I don't know, we have like, we can hopefully start going on vacations again, <laughs> just like have life go back to like, not normal, I guess, but like whatever it's meant to be now in this new age, I think it would be nice to be able to go away again, 
again, you would have probably Fridays more available and Sundays more available, um, more times than together, less computer at, you know, 11 o'clock at night would be nice. <laughs> I don't know. What else? Yeah. Oh, one of my first thoughts was times where if I'm done at work at 6 or 6.30 or 7, whatever time that is, let's say it's 6.30, then at 6.31, we're hanging out. Mm. It's not, okay, work's done at 6.30, so now there's this two-hour podcast to listen to, plus I'm going to have to pause it and take some notes, and that can become a three- or four-hour ordeal. Just that time, we're like, okay, work's done, let's eat dinner together, or let's at least sit down together while, you know, if I'm eating a little after you, but we can still watch something or or get back to going on walks at a good cadence, Um, stuff like that, Um, and really a big part of it, I part of me feels guilty and I I know that's a little bit irrational but I also think there's something to it like football season was awesome but very time consuming so it's getting more into whatever you want to do like the saying happy wife happy life comes to (laughs) mind Um, and I'm so fortunate that you've been so uh, you know happy and and supportive with everything this whole time but Um, you know, it can be simple things. I I love our weekends or nights where we can do something that require low to no budget, no car, whether it's, you know, our routine of being able to walk somewhere and get dinner. And then at a certain point going from dinner to a movie theater and then on the Mm. walk home from the movie theater, hitting up a bar and then coming back home and like you get a whole outing out of it. You're spending a little bit, but not a ton. You're not getting in the car, just being able to slow down and do those things that, we can't always afford to do during the season, whether that's related to my fandom or the podcast or trying to get a bet down, um, just really slowing down and, and focusing on those types of things, the simple pleasures, and, and then really anything that you want to do, because it's definitely your turn. Oh, I mean, I don't see it that way. I think there's a good balance, like, all year round. I think it's too hard when you switch it on and off to go, you know, like that. So I think maybe, if anything, it should be something now that you've done this for a whole season how would you do it differently once next season starts? Are there clearer boundaries you could set? I know this year was hard because it's true. I mean, there were so many Friday mornings when I would be, you know, getting ready to start work and start my day. And I would be like, why aren't you recording? And you're like, oh, well, because this guy has COVID now and this thing happened, like so many last minute things. So I also would hope that by this the time the 21 season starts, COVID's under control, or at least more under control. So that would also make it automatically less time consuming. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't think it was so bad <laughs> during the season. My big thing is like at nighttime, I, I hate having screens on at night. Mm-hmm. So that's always hard. But then it's like, you know, I don't want to relegate you to a different room so you could like work alone in the dark, you know, at 11 mm-hmm. o'clock, like I want to hang out. That's probably the only thing that annoys me. But that's also just because I'm a bad sleeper. So it's too stimulating to see the TV on and the computer on and you're on your phone. But other than that, that's probably the only thing that irks me. And it's just because of my sleep. <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky balance because I I love having general boundaries. Like I, I can nerd out on this, but if I'm reading a book, there's one chair that I want to sit in. If I'm working on the show, there's a different chair that I want to sit in. If we're watching TV together, I want to be on the couch. Um, just, you know, kind of like one space has one use generally keeping the computer you know and all that definitely out of the bedroom so that we can you know sleep better um and at the same time i don't want to say okay well i'm going to be in this space to do podcast stuff and then if i'm doing that for a few hours if that has us far apart like i want to be able to still sit next to each other and kind of hang out so 
I might bend those rules. And then I'm on the couch with the computer and it's blurring that line of like, oh, usually I'm here when I chill out, but I'm trying to work now. And I'm like, I'm trying to work, but we're also trying to hang out. So it's like, it's a little bit distracting or conflicting, but it's also better than not being together at all. So that's something we can, we'll think about it over the next several months. Again, there's time to figure this out. Um, To your point, hopefully not having another COVID season and the repetition. I mean, we got in 28 shows um, Mm -hmm. from starting this up in August through Super Sunday. So just more reps, continuing to do this on a weekly basis, even though it won't be, you know, full football rundowns. I think that practice will hopefully make things just better in terms of overall quality and also more efficient in terms of the time involved. Yeah. No, and I like your interview episodes. So I think in the off season, it's going to be exciting to have you do more of those just because also I love hearing other people's stories. Um, and those are obviously a lot easier to schedule because there's no like game day changes. You can record it whenever you want and then it's ready to release when you want it to. So I think I think that'll be fun for you too, just to get to talk to more people, have the time for that. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. And we're going to start getting close to the home stretch here. I know we're a little bit more than an hour in. Um, but one staple of the show, the, the part that I was encouraged to get the most positive feedback on this year was the Malinsky Minute. And I would bet that your favorite was the quote, Everything is a Bet mm-hmm. by Annie Duke, the author of Thinking in Bets. Um, if that's correct, what would you say that quote means to you? Oh, yeah, I really like that book. That's one thing that was nice during this pandemic and everyone being home. I had more time to read. So um, I like that everything is a bet because it's so simple, but it's actually pretty deep in that, like, doing nothing is also a bet. Or, like, staying stagnant, whether it's, you know, staying in that job, that relationship, that apartment. You know, you think those are, like, the quote-unquote safe bets, but that's still a bet. You're still betting that... You know, a better job's not going to come up. A better person's not going to come into your life. A better, you know, apartment or living situation's not going to come up. So we give so much credit to, you know, the big jumps, the big changes, the big swings. But you can't forget that doing nothing or doing what you think is safe and comfortable is actually like a very significant bet. So that's what I like about it. It just puts all that into perspective, like, There's no safe bet. Nothing's predictable. You just have to make the best decisions you can make with the information you have. And and again, like what you were just talking about almost this whole episode with this season in football, like COVID and stuff, right? Like you think you'd make a good bet, just like you'd write a good outline for a show. You'd put on your, you know, your wagers and whatever you're betting on that week and you with all the information you had and then in an instant – all of that can go out the window and you've got to like start over and make a new bet with new information. So you're constantly recalibrating. So again, I, I, I do love that quote. Um, I think it's pretty significant to everyone, not just actual people who make a living off of betting or in her case, Annie Duke's poker. Um, again, every decision you make is a bet and we just don't think about decisions that way. But when you start thinking about them that way, there's actually something kind of comforting about it um, because you realize like, oh, you're taking risks all the time and you just don't always process them that way. So then when you actually make a big decision, it can be daunting. But if you think about it like, well, everything I've done today has been one bet after another. Um, This is just one of those, (laughs) you know, just sometimes it feels scarier, but it's kind of all the same. And we don't give ourselves enough credit that we we're constantly betting. We're all betters. 
I love that. Yeah, one of my big takeaways from that quote was what you said with there's not really any such thing as the safe option. The status quo can feel safe, but betting on that is rejecting all other alternatives. And also on the note of working with incomplete information all the time, what seems safe today isn't necessarily safe tomorrow. Like you're partner in a relationship could make a decision that affects you even though it's beyond your control. Your employment situation, your living situation, um, again, if it's a bet on a game and it might be great, another team has new information that comes up that makes your bet favorable or bad information breaks and your bet is tanked. But either way, oftentimes what seems safe in the moment is not at all guaranteed to be safe in the long term or or for that matter, even the near-term future. So it's, it's just always being on the lookout for where there could be edges, and that can often be found by not overweighting the value of the status quo. Right, or even like, I mean, the bad, but, you know, you were talking about earlier with the guy running on the field, like, sometimes it's just like, that's just bad luck. <laughs> like, with all the information you had, and you had the stats, like, that's never happened to Super Bowl before, so, like, you took the information you had, you made the bet, and it still didn't work out right, and that reminds me actually more of Maria Konnikova's book, The Biggest Bluff, because... Her whole thing is, and it's very similar to Annie Dukes in that, like, you make bets with all the information you can get, and, you know, you can even get, like, 70% there, but then, like, 30% is just dumb luck. Like, things just don't always work out the way you planned, even if you can lay it out the best way possible, look at all the stats, do all your research, do everything, you know, quote-unquote right, but, like, the best hand still doesn't win nearly most of the time. So it's all these other keys you have to pick up on. And, you know, that's when you just have to kind of realize, like, stuff's just going to happen and it can be really hard to roll with it. But if you're just prepared for... It's almost like prepare for things to just break as they will and then you're not going to be so disappointed when they don't break your way. But then you kind of know, like, well, I got a million other bets to make today, so something's going to break my way. Um, And that's why, again, going back to the original thought, like, everything you do is a bet. So then you realize, like, oh, you win a lot. You make a lot of decisions every day. Like, so even if, like, a big thing doesn't go your way, just there's a lot that still does. Or there's also a lot of opportunity to make another better bet. Yeah, I think David Malinsky had a saying that relates to that notion of accepting things as they come. He would call it the occupational privilege tax. Mm -hmm. And just accepting up front, like, as a better, weird things happen all the time. So if you're going to, like upwards of 20 to 1 that no fan's going to run on the field and then it happens, don't be shocked and outraged in the moment. I, I Oddly, I was certainly bummed. My stomach sank when I saw that. I felt like I was living in a nightmare for a few seconds. But I don't believe I used any profanity or raised my voice <laughs> or did anything too irrational. If I mean, if I'm trying to take the lid off the peanut butter in the morning and it's not coming off as fast as I want, that will upset me more in the moment than the fan running on the field. Like you, And it's a how you frame your expectations for something to work. That's, I think, the key there. Um, yeah, and you touched on uh, the biggest bluff. That is definitely going to be quoted in a future Molinsky Minute. That is at the top of the off-season reading list. So I can't wait to get there. And um, keeping the theme running with whether it's thinking in bets or the biggest bluff, that, that notion of everything is a bet and we're always working with incomplete information. So we just need to be a little bit better than everybody else to have an edge in the long term. Um, what would you say is the worst bet you've ever made? And then what would you say is the best bet you've ever made? 
uh, with a key distinction here to be uh, as much as you can separating the process from the outcome. I'm not looking for the worst thing that's ever happened to you. The worst <laughs> bet you ever made could have had a great outcome and the best bet could have had a bad one. You know, it's, it's all about the process versus the outcome. But when you think about your biggest bets, what are you proud of? Um, and then what's one that, at least from a process standpoint, you'd really like to do over again? Well, I mean, obviously, I think the best bet I made was moving out here to move in with you. I moved from New York, what, two weeks after I graduated college in the middle of the recession in 09 without a job. And, you know, we were living in downtown Los Angeles. And I just, what I liked about not just the outcome, because obviously it worked out great. It's what, 12 years later and we're married and, you know, still together. But the process was kind of fun in that, like, talk about like a big bet, but like, not that I didn't stress it, but I still did it anyway, even though it was uncomfortable going out into the unknown in such a big way. But I think that's kind of when you realize like, well, if it doesn't work out, you can try something else. (laughs) Like most things in life, like whether it's like, yeah, like a big move, a job, relationship, like, I mean, for better or worse, nothing's permanent, you know? And again, that can be really hard, but it can also be really liberating. So that was definitely a really good bet. Trying to think of a really bad bet. Um, I mean, bad bets are usually ones when I've doubted myself, and I feel like that happens a lot. (laughs) Um, So I'm trying to think of like a specific situation. But yeah, whenever I underestimate myself, that's usually a bad bet. Um, because then you're also just setting yourself up to fail automatically because you're already assuming you will, which is awful. Um, but I have to think about a specific one. Sure. I think that general approach was good. If you think of a specific one, let mm. me know and we'll circle back to it. Um, right away, my mind goes to, um, again, that, that guy running on the field. <laughs> Although, again, that was the worst betting outcome of my life. I am willing to stand by the process and double down on this year after year unless I'm proven wrong. I need to keep an open mind and not let that prop become a money mm. pit. But I do think the process was okay. So really, what I think the worst bet I've made was um, a short window of time. I have a vivid memory of a flag football game I was playing in years ago. This was around 2010. And I guess I just thought I was going to be the tough guy for a moment. Um, I, I was trying to um, just chase somebody down and, and leap to make a big play that's beyond my physical ability. And as a result, I came into more or less a head-on collision. And instead of head-on, it was my shoulder making contact with somebody else's sprinting the other way. And I sprained my AC joint, and it was an agonizing month for a couple seconds of losing my cool. Um, And not to dwell on the outcome, I mean, the outcome sucked. And now whenever I see a quarterback has a sprained AC joint and is playing the next week, like Kyler Murray did earlier this season, I I think about, okay, is he going to be able to pass as well? Is his team going to let him run as much? Are they going to try to protect him? Um, It sucks to sprain your AC joint. Anybody who's ever felt that pain can relate. But if I didn't hurt myself by doing that, I could have hurt somebody else by making the same decision. Or maybe nothing would have happened, but it was still, um, even to your point about, um, generally, if you're doubting yourself, the mm. I wasn't really doubting myself in that moment, but I wasn't fully within myself. It was a similar thing in that I I wasn't either level-headed or just lost my cool. I wasn't trying to, you know, inflict injury upon anybody, but I was playing differently than I typically would. And I even, 
it's almost like when you drop a glass and you you know that split second before it hits the ground feels like an eternity. It was a really quick moment, but I remember as that's happening, before there was any impact, thinking, this isn't how it usually goes. Like, this is just a little bit disorienting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I would share the same best bet, um, you know, to you phrase it well, moving out here in all those circumstances, I would probably more succinctly say my best bet is you and on us. Um, We were just friends for three and a half years. And then we got together right before our last year of college. But by that time, I was at USC. You were still at BU. So we were across the country from each other and really long distance the first three weeks of our relationship because I went to Beijing for the Mm -hmm. Olympics. And it was the experience of a lifetime. But we could not have been farther apart than, you know, Beijing and New York. And then even the next four months, um, again, USC to BU, cross country, seeing each other a couple times in that window. Um, but it was tough. And then when you moved out here, I also moved out of my student housing at USC mm. with some roommates that I really liked because it gave us the opportunity to live together. For my last semester, you graduated a semester early. So again, you're looking for a job. Both of us have no career or financial security. We were really just all in on each other. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I feel like I can overthink to death you know a small bet if my borderline oh should i bet this team at plus three and a half or should i not and it's it's not life-changing in any way but when it came to making that decision for from getting together when we did still having it long distance for a bit to moving out of student housing and you moving across the country um knowing that we didn't really have any security but still the comfort in that um was still, you know, it was so much less stressful than so many, you know, bets on a football game in a weird way because the stakes could not have been higher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, knowing when to propose, how to propose, when to get married, uh, you know, when to get our first house, which we did a little more than a year ago. And you're, okay, we went from having no financial security in 2009 mm-hmm. to being pretty disciplined. And um, I think we put ourselves in a good spot after, you know, a decade's worth of working our butts off and saving aggressively. And then you kind of, you know, deplete your life savings to make that investment. And a little more than a year in, um, that's also proven to be great. And whatever happens to home values, it's still the kind of thing where you just do the best you can with the information at hand. Yeah. Bad things can happen. Good things can happen. But um, if you're trying to be disciplined and attentive to the process, then generally that's the sign of a good bet regardless of the outcome. Yeah, I agree. And not to put too much weight on other people's opinions, too. Because, again, as, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of, like, a particularly bad, but I guess I just, I don't know if I think of particular instances, it's more like any, even, like, smaller, again, smaller bets or decisions I make, it's a lot of time going off of, like, oh, this person, they hated this, or they said that's a dumb idea, and then it's, like, you kind of go against your gut. That's a bad move, too. Downing yourself and putting too much value on opinions of basically strangers. Like, who cares? <laughs> Um, so I think that's a a good way to really mess up and make a bad bet. Yeah. Well said. I think if you're, again, able to keep a level head and and be true to yourself, then if those are kind of the, the guidelines, then that'll go far in the long run. Um, moving on to a few rapid fire questions to wrap this up. It's always fun ending these with some rapid fire, uh, kind of either or type of questions. Would you rather see this year... The Yankees win the World Series or the Giants win the Super Bowl? Yankees win the World Series. 
I thought you might be going that way when you talked about your fandom. It seemed like there was a deeper attachment to the Yankees. How much of it is getting into the Yankees at a younger age and, and just seeing them win it over the years? Or how much of it is the fact that right now the Giants of the two teams are the clear dumpster fire of the pair? Um. Well, yeah, like the Giants aren't doing themselves any favors. I think it's like you have to earn someone's fandom. I don't, I don't obviously, like I'm not into those like bandwagon fans by any means. But I do think there's something to not wasting your time on a team that's really not doing anything for you. But there's also, I mean, I really like the history of the Yankees, too. And again, like I said, yeah, growing up in the 90s, like, I have just, like, decades of just these Hall of Famers in my head. And also, I went to a lot of Yankee games. I really didn't go to Giants games. Um, it's a pain in the butt to get there. <laughs> but Yankee Stadium was easy to get to, and we were able, we were fortunate enough to get tickets, so... I've also been to just so many more Yankee games. And that that also helped, right? Because even this season, it's kind of been hard to get into sports, even though there's nothing else to do. So you'd think you'd want to sit around and watch them more. But when you can't be with other people and you can't be at the actual stadiums and arenas, there is something missing. And that's why I was saying, like, while I don't crave always watching baseball on TV, because also the games are, I mean, especially the Yankee game, could be five hours. I think there was one night, didn't we watch two basketball games and the time it took to play one Yankee game? That was amazing. Yeah, the Yankees-Indians. But being at a game, it's like time has no meaning. You just have a good time. And also, I can't sit still, so I, I actually love like snooping around the stadiums. And now stadiums are like amusement parks. There's so much to do and so much to see. And again, you can be with people. Um so I think that's also why the Yankees have more meaning. I just I had more of those firsthand experiences that I didn't get with the Giants. Although, like I said, that memory of being in Australia and watching them win is probably like my favorite sports memory. So they always have that. Would you rather run a half marathon or bike a century, which is a hundred miles? And to give context, if you think about it for a sec, um, Allison might not say to herself, but she is a machine when it comes to physical fitness and especially anything requiring endurance. Um, if we run a 10K or if we bike, I would say somewhere in the range of 20 miles, I can I can probably hold my own with you. But once it gets into, you know, anything beyond that where the endurance really pays off, you just kick it into overdrive. So you've done your fair share of centuries and half marathons. And which one would you prefer to do next? I think that's very location-dependent. Because there's nothing worse than biking on, like, a bad course. And by bad course, I mean, like, one that's highly trafficked, has a lot of stoplights. Like, you can't get a groove going. That sucks. Um, That's why I was, like, the Palm Springs Century. Because there's, like, 40 miles where you basically don't have to stop if you don't want to. Um, So I guess I would give the edge to half marathons. Because I've run in all different kinds of places. And some are a lot nicer than others. But running's just... It's a, it feels a bit safer and easier. And again, you know, they turn off the stoplights at all those courses. There's people at the intersections, so they really rope it off. It's harder to do for a 100-mile bike course, obviously, to close it off. So I would give the edge to half marathons. What's your favorite half marathon you've done so far? Oh, I really... Ooh, that's hard because Vegas was really fun. The Vegas rock and roll one at night. I think... Um, that one comes to mind because I really want to do it over. Because like we've talked about, I would do it differently. I would definitely go slower just because there is such novelty to running Vegas at night. And yeah, like mile four, they actually do like 
quickie wedding. So, like, I actually wouldn't mind stopping and, like, watching that. Because we just blew right past it. I don't even remember seeing it. Yeah, that's um, not one you do for uh, PR. You know, you're not really going for time necessarily. Yeah, and then I did that Solvain one um, through wine country there. And Solvain's like this little Dutch town here. That was beautiful because we just went through, I think it was like nine vineyards. Um, so those two come to mind the most for me. And our first one ever was the Nashville Rock and Roll Half. And that was just fun because I'd never been to Nashville before. I'd never been to that part of the country before. Um, and it was my 30th birthday. Um, it was really hot, but it was it was really fun. Um, yeah, I've done a lot of really good half marathons, actually. I've had a really good time with those. Yeah, I would also throw the Temecula half marathon out there, speaking of wine country. <laughs> I was so part sick. of it. Yeah, part of it. And that's oddly what I remember fondly about it, is we, we were both sick. That marathon, that oh. half marathon we ran was the same month that... Um, we had two weddings on opposite coasts of the country mm-hmm. and we moved apartments. Yeah. So four weekends in a month, one of them is moving, two of them are weddings on opposite coasts and the other one was this half marathon. So yeah, I was so sick and I just remember watching the haunting of Hill House. Like that's how I knew I was sick. I left work early and I actually like laid down on the couch and binge watched something which I don't do during the day like ever. And that's how I knew I was really sick. But I always think of The Haunting of Hill House when I think of that half marathon. Yeah, so oddly, certainly afterward, we we really felt it. But even beforehand, the parking could not have been more of a cluster. It took an hour to park. Um, and we, because of that, you know, we were there well before the sun came up. And it was just bumper to bumper, one lane in a remote area. So we ended up starting the run late. I think when we were at the starting line... We just kind of threw up our hands, kissed each other, and were like, whatever, let's just see what this is. Oh, my headphones didn't work. I had to use, like, the ones with the cord, which is, like, running 13 miles with a cord swing around is a pain in the butt. But um, it was beautiful, though. The course was really nice. And it actually was kind of nice starting late because it wasn't crowded. So we had, like, the course to ourselves, basically. And we saw, like, this hot air balloon rides because that's what Temecula is famous for. Yeah. And speaking of the course, it was... Pretty much uphill for the first half and then yeah. downhill coming back, which was a, a perfect for me if I'm, you know, calling out my favorite course because, um, again, if we're doing about a 10K, so that's a, about half of a half marathon, I can do pretty well for that. But then I get tired, and if you're hitting a brick wall, you don't want to be climbing. It's a lot better to let gravity do the work and come downhill. So that um, also happened to be the best time I have for a half marathon. Um, and yeah, the hot air balloons, the wine country setting couldn't have been much more beautiful. And I really liked what they did with the finish line because there was a really big stretching and recovery area. They had a really fun DJ. We lucked out with the weather. It happened to be a beautiful day speaking about, you know, location dependent events like Mm -hmm. this. And then there were good food trucks. And even as I recall, Sierra Nevada was one of the breweries giving out free beer that they give you a voucher for afterward. So the Parking and the the pain that it was to just start that run and then the days after not feeling great oddly makes it more memorable to me. But then the course itself and enjoying everything immediately afterward right around the finish line was really a blast. Yeah, that one was really fun. Is there a half marathon or century that you're most looking forward to that you haven't done yet? Yeah, I wanted to do the San Diego half marathon, the rock and roll one, hopefully in June, although that seems ambitious with COVID. Mm -hmm. But maybe hopefully sometime this year. I did see that they posted that the Rock and Roll Vegas one's going to be in February of 2022. So I wouldn't mind doing that one again. Um, And then honestly, I haven't even looked into Century stuff because I feel like 
that's probably not going to happen this year. Although, I mean, maybe in the fall, I'm not sure. I've been more tracking the races just because I'd already paid for some of them. But I am really dying to do the San Diego one already because that's the flagship. Um, and we got a good hotel. <laughs> so I'm hoping we can use it. So yeah, that one. I mean, and like thinking really beyond, I would love to do like an international run. I think that would be really fun just to pick a place. Um, I think Rock and Roll has one in like Ireland too. Mm. The weather might be iffy, but um, that could be something really fun too, to travel somewhere far like that and do a run. That would be easier than bringing a bike. So yeah, I guess I'll, I'll think more locally right now and say San Diego, but I would like to do something even more ambitious in the next coming years once COVID's done. Yeah, San Diego is especially intriguing right now because we were supposed to do it last year. Uh, we had planned to do it. Obviously, the pandemic hit, so we're hoping to get it in a year later. Selfishly, that's you know my hometown, so I'd love to get to do that course. That's also the original of the Rock and Roll series. And then, again, the location from beer and food to baseball and the beach, there's not any shortage of ways you can celebrate afterward and enjoy the area before the run. So really looking forward to it. The Padres has a good setup there. So, I mean, it would be nice, even if it can't be in June, if they could make it sometime still during baseball season, because it would be kind of cool to do a game either the night before or the night of um, one of the runs, just to make the most of being down there. Yeah. And suddenly they're looking like a juggernaut with a lot of their off season moves. So that could be interesting beyond the scenery itself, but just like the the baseball could be mm-hmm. really fun, actually, between the lines, which we haven't been to a game in so long. So Maybe we can go to Coronado, too. Yeah. Yeah. No shortage of other things to do while you're down there. So hopefully June, but realistically, anytime this year would be really nice. Um, one more question here. Um, kind of bring it full circle with the Malinsky Minute theme. What is your favorite David Malinsky memory and what impact would you say that has on your life? Yeah, I mean, when we met up with him in Vegas and we went out to lunch with him and he ordered multiple desserts, <laughs> I thought he was so cool. He just ordered anything you want. He's like, let's just get it. Like, it was just his spirit, too, of not only do I like that he's a dessert person, um, but I just like that thing of, like, again, try it all. Like, he just had the attitude, like, I mean, I'm definitely guilty of this, of, you know, you, you harp on a decision like we were talking about, like, again, everything's a bet and you, you know, can overthink things. And he's just like, just get them both. <laughs> like, just that it was just so obvious, but it's also kind of profound. And that's like also how we lived his life. Like, he just kind of did a little bit of everything and he didn't worry about that whole like, you know, uh, jack of all trades, master of none, because he was kind of like a master of all trades. <laughs> Um, which seems like an anomaly, but it's really not. Like, we all have to realize we have so much more range. So, yeah, that little anecdote about him ordering multiple desserts, I think, just kind of says who he was as a person. Uh, first off, he didn't care what you were supposed to do or not supposed to do. It was, like, noon, and it's like, why don't we get an ice cream sundae and a brownie and try the cake? Um, but also just, like, how he lived his life. Like, sample it all. So that's, I think, my favorite memory. Yeah, and my favorite one is similar in a sense. It speaks to who Dave was. Also a restaurant in the Vegas area. And it was the first time we met. He picked a Thai place to meet up for lunch. I remember bringing a pen and paper, thinking I would just take copious notes and you know come back from my meeting with a professional better, suddenly having it all figured out. 
and I could barely get in a word about betting because I showed up wearing a USC visor and immediately Dave mentioned that he had almost gone to USC and when he visited USC's campus, of the 10 most beautiful women he'd seen in his life, nine of them were from that visit. And in moving on, that just set the tone perfectly for the conversation. And, and beyond that, whether we were talking food or beer or family and friends, his curiosity beyond betting was unmistakably clear from the very beginning. And that just forever broadened my horizons. Yeah, yeah. Again, he he was a guy who could talk about any subject with any person with at least some proficiency, if not high proficiency. So it's, I mean, it's aspirational. You want to be more like that. And I feel like we're so into like people being so specialized that it's nice to have someone who like gleefully would like buck that trend and actually encourage people to experiment whether it's with their career or their food choices whatever it is the, the friends they have it's just be broad um but, well you can still be deep you know there's nothing shallow about him yeah that's a good note to wrap up all the questions with um i would typically at this time offer the guest a plug i know that you don't host a podcast you're not too active on social media i especially think the latter is a very big plus for the sake of just overall state of mind and selfishly our relationship um but is there anything that you would care to plug well i mean i as you noted i have nothing to plug um <laughs> i'm not that outward facing um how about your favorite what's your favorite podcast to listen to Oh my gosh, it depends on the day. I subscribe to, I think, like 50, if not more. Um, Right now, I'm really liking You're Dead to Me. It's a really good history podcast that's done by a British guy for BBC. Um, That one's really, really fun. I was listening to the one about Nero's mom, and it just talked about how many times he tried to kill his mom, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he ultimately did. Um, So I really like that one. I obviously listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, so Let's Not Meet is a really scary one that I like. Um, and I love Last Podcast on the Left because I think they're really smart but really funny. Um, I do listen to your podcast most of the beginning and the end because I don't understand the bets, um, if that's not obvious from this interview. <laughs> you hold your own with this. If I were to ask 100 people that Mahomes question about how many yards he scrambled per next-gen stats before throwing the ball or getting sacked... I could ask 100 people who watch every game and bet seriously, and I don't think anybody would beat your guests. So you you watch enough and you know enough to definitely hold your own there. Yeah, and I do listen to what you say, even though it doesn't always seem that way. Um, <laughs> I, ret- I don't know how much I retain, but I'm definitely listening. So I think subconsciously I retain more than I, I actually think. But no, I don't, I don't have um, much to plug. So I think, again, just... Hopefully things can get back to where people can actually go see sports now and enjoy them and spend time with their families in person and go out more. I mean, we live in Southern California, great weather. It's nice to be able to do stuff and take advantage. So I guess I would plug hopefully getting out soon safely and being with people again. Um, And yeah, taking this time off of football to, again, hopefully get to talk, have more conversations with people like for your podcast, more interviews um again kind of embrace the part of day that we were just talking about where it's like go wider so without football replace it with something else maybe a little more opposite 
antithesis of that and then, you know, develop other hobbies and interests in this off season. Uh, who knows what those will be? Maybe we can play tennis again. It'd <laughs> be fun. Um, pick up a hobby. I've been trying to think of like another hobby to pick up too. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I want to try some kind of like activity. But again, it's hard because people can't congregate. So it's like, do I want to take up like boxing solo? That's not fun. You know, I'm kind of missing going to stuff. So again, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of going wider and, and if football is leaving a void, filling it with something else and not being afraid to go to the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, broaden out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it again. I'll just plug your podcast. Listen to more of this. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can have you back on at some point. You know as much as anybody I've ever met about movies. So maybe somebody on the Oscars. There's going to be yeah. some fun betting angles there. So we'll see how the, the new off-season interests and hobbies evolve over the course of the coming months. We can definitely talk about the Oscars. I'm interested to see what's even nominated. Um, this year's been so weird because there weren't like theatrical releases. So we've watched some movies, but then even some have been trying to look for and, you know, they're doing that thing because, you know, some stuff you can get like on Max or Disney Plus and other stuff is like, it's out, but you have to pay like $20 for just to watch it at home. So that's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves as things open up, will theaters open up and we'll have theatrical releases again? Or is this the new norm where it's sort of in both? And then you can decide, do you want to pay $20 to sit at home and watch a movie? Or do you want to go to a theater where it's likely going to be more than that, but you actually have the experience of being in a theater, being with other people? So yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. I think the Oscars are actually like my birthday weekend. So they got pushed. So they're, I think, at the end of April this year. So I'm eager to see what's nominated. And maybe I'll actually have to watch all of Mink now. Yeah, we, we tried watching that one, and it was a little weird for our taste, but it is getting a lot of buzz. I also don't think I was in the mood for it, so I love classic movies, so I want to give it another shot when I'm in more of the headspace for it, because maybe I will really like it. I don't know. That's maybe a, a good way to wrap up plugging things up. Broaden out, and don't be afraid to give something a second shot. Exactly. Cool. Well, I've never actually been physically touching my guests or holding hands when we've wrapped up an interview. He's touching me inappropriately. (laughs) Uh, uh Uh-oh. We might have to revisit this in post-production. But yeah, um, thank you for your time. As I've told every guest, I look forward to whenever and wherever we can catch up next in person. (laughs) Probably the kitchen. Yeah. In other words, uh, I'll see you around the house. Yeah. See you on the couch. Thank you. Bye. Good job. (laughs) Goodbye. Thanks again to Allison for taking some time to join the show and get on the other side of the mic. Whether it's for Oscars betting in a couple months or maybe something sooner, we'll definitely look to have her back on before too long. And otherwise, that'll do it for this episode of Props and Hops. Thank you so much for listening. If you found any value in the conversation, please share it with a friend who could benefit as well. You can also subscribe to Props and Hops wherever you get your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, it would be extremely helpful if you could take a quick moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on Twitter at mlandis18, and you can check out dimers.com for a write-up on some highlights from this conversation, plus sports betting information you can benefit from all year round. Other than that, I'll talk to you next week. If you're celebrating Valentine's Day this weekend, enjoy it. And Valentine's Day aside, if you have a significant other who took a backseat to football at times this past season, definitely a good time to do something nice for them. And we've also got President's Day weekend on tap. Enjoy the holiday if your workplace observes it. And until next week, 
Let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well.